Welcome to the IDLink podcast. I'm JL Corbett, the editor and founder of IDLink, an online magazine that publishes the weird, the odd, the curious, anything that's a little bit strange. On this podcast, I'll be talking to some writers that I've published in the past and getting to know them as people, not just as writers. My guest today is Beth Cantor. Beth is a writer from Washington, D.C., whose work focuses on travel, food, parenting, women's stories, and all things culture. In addition to editing several Michelin guides, she's written six books about Washington, D.C., the latest being No Access, D.C. from Globe Co. Press. She's also been teaching creative nonfiction workshops for over a decade. Her story, Lone Bird, appeared in Idling in May 2022. So Beth, thank you so much for talking with me this evening or this afternoon for you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be talking with you. Wonderful. So I've been starting off all the episodes with with all the guests by doing this kind of strange thing where okay. I give my impression of them as a writer mm. um, because, you know, we've talked over email, but it's hard to get a grasp of who someone really is over email. So mm. it's kind of interesting to see if I'll be dead wrong or not. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait. Okay, brilliant. So when I think of you, the the phrase that comes to mind is a pillar of the community, you know, being the writing community, because, you know, you teach, you guide people on their on their writing journeys, as it were. Um, I also think you're probably quite a funny person because you write so many humor pieces and everything you write is really articulate and yet it's just so kind of cutting and funny um so yeah I think you're probably quite a laid-back person quite funny and um uh, you know eager to help people on their journeys thank you I'll, I'll take it for sure um I certainly hope and strive to be those things um so I I hope that it is true and and it's certainly I I strive toward toward uh lifting p- other people up and to be in community with other writers and hope uh I do feel eager to help other writers be their friends or people in my workshops or people I work with one-on-one or whomever yeah it's such a good role to have and I've got to tell you I've been very hit and miss with these impressions of my guests so I'm quite happy that I seem to have got it kind of right yeah, with you. I, I I certainly hope so if, if <laughs> you know I guess you have to ask people around me if that holds true it's hard to yeah. say that but it it's certainly who I'd like to be and I you know I think humor is in the uh ear of the beholder so um but I, I like I like to fancy myself funny. Um, I think I have a, a little bit of a biting sense of humor that is not for everybody, but I make myself laugh from time to time. So yeah. That's a- well, that's the thing with comedy. It's never going to be for everyone. I've read some of your um, your humor stuff. Um, I really love the satirical bingo cards that you yeah. do. Um, it 
the listeners might not really know what I mean by that. So maybe you should kind of explain what that is. Sure. Um, so I've done, I, I don't actually know how many, but it, it, it's been quite a few at this point. Um, satirical bingo cards. Um, the first one I did was for McSweeney's Internet Tendency, and it was perimenopausal bingo. I can't remember if we called it peri- if I called it perimenopause bingo or perimenopause. I guess it doesn't matter that much. Um, and the idea is, you know, you have something on there, you you would uh, x out the bingo card. So it's a it's um, a way to play with format within humor, which I always think is really fun and a challenge and I love specificity so um so it's a chance to really get dig down for Mm. something very very specific which I think um as a reader I love so as a writer I I get excited if I if I hit it so I've had I've had a bunch of them um uh I think the last one I did was maybe on Valentine's Day, and it was um, drugstore candy bingo. Uh, <laughs> Valentine's Day bingo it was really weird. It had like Veruca Salt um, Fever Dream. I think was one of the squares. Nice. That I like. <laughs> yeah, I saw the menopause one, and mm-hmm. as a woman who has not yet hit menopause, it terrified me. <laughs> <laughs> As it should. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I took that as um probably more of a grim warning than yes. than a humor piece. But yeah, I, I really love them. I got a really um a lot a, a huge response to that one. And I think in part because particularly women's health, at least in this country, we don't talk about it um very openly or often. So it, it sort of pulls pulls the curtain back a little and hopefully allows us to laugh but, but yeah be afraid <laughs> I am I think that's um that's kind of the mark of good comedy is that on the surface it's just funny but then when you think about it hard enough um it does kind of highlight like you say women's health isn't talked about too much um in the UK it it isn't talked about too much either especially in terms of older women mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it's just good smart comedy I think so yeah I really appreciated really? it <laughs> um kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum you also write a lot of creative non-fiction um and I've read through a few of them and they just have such an intimate quality to them and um that they honestly are brilliant um but they're so different from your Mm -hmm. humor writing so I'm just wondering how do you balance those two really different styles of writing um it's a great question you know I think there are two different pieces (laughs) distinct pieces of my personality and my outlook on life and and they have to coexist (laughs) inside (laughs) me so they have to coexist on the page also but I think there is there is overlap and hopefully um hopefully there's an intimacy and a to both of them and and a trust with the reader that I'm being an honest narrator, which is, you know, above all else, always the guiding star, I think, to good humor and to good creative nonfiction, um, to good fiction too. 
um, so hopefully in both cases, you feel that you, you're in good hands, that um, not trying to pull some pull something over on you that I'm telling you the truth. Um, yeah. And I, and I think it's that that sort of um, always trying to dig deeper for something even more specific. So for creative nonfiction, I often sort of the ideas will come to me, maybe a scene or or an idea and the and the the humor also sometimes it's just one little something very very specific that will spark the idea yeah I think um I I haven't written too much creative nonfiction. the thing that scares me about it is that you have to to some extent be quite vulnerable depending on what you're writing about um and I think you're right in that that is that sense of vulnerability is present in other types of writing but with creative non-fiction it feels um mm-hmm. so much scarier so yeah. I, how do you deal with or have you ever dealt with that fear of putting something so personal out there all the time I mean I don't know many writers who aren't afraid yeah you know when they approach their writing, be it any writing. But I think in creative nonfiction, if you are drawn to tell the story, that usually supersedes the fear. Or the fear of not telling it is greater than the fear of telling it. And I think it's also, it's a process. And I see that when I teach, and it's such a good reminder for me that the first draft is never the final draft. The 20th draft is rarely yeah. the final draft. So it's not like you, or at least for me, I'll just speak for me. It's not like I just sit down and and this personal information or, you know, this what the story, the the story I want to tell just pours out and there it is. Um, you know, it comes out in pieces and then you see where you wanna want to go deeper and you know that readers know if you're not being honest and it it just doesn't read the same so I think it you know you have to you have to warm up and get there and walk and read and think and pace and whatever it is you know clean vacuum everybody has their own ritual of how it's world's wrap I suppose it's just such a long process and a lot of the process is just kind of thinking and reflecting. Yeah, I absolutely. I like to think, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently with my writing and the writing of other writer friends and people that I work with um, are sort of these invisible ingredients of writing. And I think time is probably the biggest one mm. and if you don't pour in the right amount of time it it doesn't happen right and there's also resilience and walking and talking and reading and playing and experimenting and you know sometimes crying a little and yeah <laughs> I always um see people uh, other writers talking about um you know you've got to keep momentum as a writer and a lot of people say well I want to write at least x number of words a day mm-hmm. and personally I've never been one of those writers who writes every single day um because I think a lot of it is just 
um it's not always putting words on the page it's mm-hmm. um sort of thinking and dreaming and and kind of formulating things in, in your mm-hmm. own head that way um but i think there is this pressure in the rising community to be really productive all of the time yes i, I don't think it's realistic i'm not sure it's healthy honestly um and i don't know I don't know that it's the only way to get to where you need to go. There's, and I think that more than anything is something I have to remind myself that just because something works for another writer doesn't mean it's going to work for me. And that's okay. But yeah. I love, I love that you said dreaming. I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And I, I don't mean sort of, you know, dreaming in the con- conventional sense. Um, yes. I feel like 60% of my days I'm just daydreaming. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I oh, that feels so validating and wonderful. <laughs> Makes me smile. Oh, I'm glad you're a kindred spirit. <laughs> and that's what storytelling is, really, is 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 dreaming and Yeah. Dreams on the page. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Dreams on the page. Also. Um, so you've mentioned that you've recently been moving away from creative nonfiction and essays and you've been moving towards fiction what kind of what made you decide to do that transition or was it a conscious choice it wasn't a completely conscious conscious sorry I'm having trouble saying that it wasn't it wasn't a deliberate choice and I still am writing a lot of creative nonfiction and and humor from time to time although um the world's seems a lot less funny even for satire these days so that's something that's not coming to me the way that it used to but maybe hopefully there'll be more things to laugh at soon but um I started I guess about two three years ago writing what has turned into an, my novel in progress it started as a story and almost a character sketch with it and so they're just felt like there was more work to be done yeah so that's where I've been spending a lot of my time um you can see the manuscripts actually up there with all the oh yeah I can see it actually (laughs) it looks like there's a lot of notes slotted in there a lot a lot of notes yes (laughs) there's been calling to me pretty loudly for the last few years so I think that's part of the shift is that I um I feel that I need and want to finish the story and see where it's taking me. And I've been learning that a lot of just like you were saying, the dreaming thinking, it's it's not a, a word count per day kind of project, at least for me. Yeah. That does um that doesn't always achieve the end. Although there are times where I've given myself word count uh deadline, you know, word count allotments each day just yeah. to sort of stuff out because it's a marathon of a project Um, oh yeah writing a novel um a marathon is absolutely right um so with fiction writing has there been any kind of challenges that you maybe weren't expecting coming from a non-fiction background so many Well, I'm a reporter by training, uh, and I started as a newspaper reporter and then moved to magazines. So I I do approach the fiction sometimes with 
hopefully with the reporting a reporter's eye and a reporting um, sort of slant. So I, and I, what I am writing is historical fiction. So I do find myself, you know, going off on a lot of tangents and falling down rabbit holes of research, which is great, but it's, you know, it's, it's coming, it's crawling back out and coming back and writing. Um, so I, I do have to remind myself to do that. Um, and it's, uh, it's really, I think the, um, it's sort of making peace with the long game of it. Yeah. Frustrating, not sometimes just not being done. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not supposed to be doing that. So, so I do find that, um, I, I think technique wise, a lot, there's a lot of crossover, um, I think good storytelling is good storytelling, no matter how you do it, if it's flash fiction or creative nonfiction, an essay, memoir. Um, so I hope that I am employing what I've learned over the years and what I've done over the years to the novel. Yeah, it, with a novel, it's it's such a labor of love, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I Have you had short stories published or has it just been nonfiction? I've had um a few short stories here and there and I uh paved with gold which is the working title of the novel in progress uh started as a short story and uh I was lucky enough that it it won a contest and has and it just was in an anthology so I I, I got a, a little a much needed uh you know, adrenaline boost from that to keep going. With the yeah, I can imagine that must have been such a boost. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, gives you a sense of legitimacy, I suppose, mm-hmm. if other mm-hmm. people like it. Right. And I suppose with your with your background as a reporter, um, I imagine that's actually quite a good footing to have when you start with a novel because there is so much research involved particularly with historical fiction um I similarly I haven't worked as a reporter but um my degree at university was research based and so I found that actually really handy knowing how to you know Mm. do research beyond a cursory google search exactly exactly right like I've spent some time with um historical documents and letters some of the things that you don't necessarily get just from a quick search and I think uh having had the training where I spent time looking at police blotters or uh, county records or whatever it was back in the beginning helped with that reminded me that they're there and you know they were there to help tell a story so I try to remind myself of that. Um, also, when I went to journalism school, um, there was something at the time called the Medill F. I don't know if it still exists. And if you've got um, a, a major piece of information uh, incorrect, you got an F on the whole assignment. So if you know, if oh you wow. Say, so right, so that lives with <laughs> that fear still lives with inside me to get it right. So that's kind of conditioned you, I suppose. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, it has. Fear is 
sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, so I mentioned in your intro that you've been teaching creative nonfiction workshops for over a decade. So what do you think you've gained as a writer by being invited along for other people's writing journeys? Um, I love the question because I think like most worthwhile things in life, you get back so much more than you give. And, and that is tenfold with teaching um, for me. And the, the, the main thing that I learn is um, your writing doesn't happen in a vacuum or it doesn't have to happen alone. And I think there is sort of this idea sometimes that writers uh, you know, that it's a, a solo sport and happens kind of in solitary confinement. And, and of course, you know, a lot of times we're just sitting in the glow of our computer screen and that's part of the gig and sometimes part of the joy. But there is sort of this amazing magic almost that happens when people come together and are not just vulnerable on the page, but are vulnerable and open themselves up to one another and to be part of that is is an honor and I you know can't I know that sounds you know a little hokey but it's true I um I have met extraordinary people who are friends through my workshops I am in awe of what they do and I I you know I'm a teacher and a student and a writer all at the same time and I think they all are as well yeah, and I think with writing or or with anything really, um, you're always learning. So mm. I think it's so nice to hear that you as a teacher still kind of see yourself as learning along with your students. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope that never stops. I that's that's a life goal is to always be a student, I think, for me. Yeah. If you're a writer, you have to be sort of this a student all the time to be curious and yeah. looking for yourself and that's it. It's it's curiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um so you your background's in journalism. How did you actually get into teaching? Oh, um you know, a little bit by accident, actually. <laughs> I um, <laughs> like with most good things. I at the Writer Center here in DC, it was it was 10, it was maybe 15 years ago. At the time, they were looking for some people to teach some prof- like writing for professionals, or I, mm-hmm. I don't even I, I honestly don't even remember. It was it was people who whose um offices whose whose jobs were wanting to do sort of writing enrichment for them or um, sort of maybe some people were uh, had writing as a responsibility, but maybe they didn't have training or uh, too much experience writing. So it was a mixed group of of experience. And I don't know how they found me through (laughs) something. I do a lot of writing DC. So they asked me if I could do it. I hadn't done it before, but I said, sure. I thought, it sounded interesting. And I do remember it was the early days of email. And I remember stressing that <laughs> if you say 
address the person by name. And if it's on a Friday, you tell them at the end, have a good weekend. Or if it's Monday, you say, how was your weekend? And and they were like, no, you don't have to do that. It's just your message. And and somebody came in and said, you know what? I addressed somebody by the name. I, I tried tried what you suggested. And I said, have a, have a good weekend. And I had to ask for something sort of last minute that a bunch of people were asking for. And they wrote me back and they said, um, you were the only person who addressed me by name and, and something kind to me. So here's the information. So, so that was sort of uh, fun. Uh, and after that, they asked me if I was interested in teaching other workshops. And, and I was, I, I just found that I really liked it. I love that it sort of just fell into your lap and, but it was such a happy kind of accident (laughs) and I think I I um when after college I took some uh fiction writing and creative nonfiction workshops here and I had some really wonderful wonderful writers influence me and I always thought like how what a gift that would be to be Mm. able to pay that forward at some point if I could so yeah that's such a lovely outlook and the thing about emails is so true because when I get emails for Idolink I absolutely hate it when they don't use my name or if they I get a lot where they address it to Mr Corbett Mm -hmm. and um I'm like why why do you think I'm a man (laughs) so it's that that in my journalism school you would have gotten enough for yeah well it's always lovely when they um when they get the name right And I think those little things that aren't so little and yeah, in, in email or in a fiction piece or in an essay, they matter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious to ask as well, because yeah. you've been teaching for mm-hmm. over a decade, when I think about the last 10 years, I mean, the last 10 years feels like 20 years. <laughs> The, the world has changed so much. We've had a pandemic. So mm. I'm wondering, have you noticed any changes in, like, for example, the things that your students choose to write about? Yes, absolutely. I I think people always have come with a sense of urgency to, to say what they want to say and to story tell. I noticed it very sharply um, in January of 2017 here in the States that there were a lot of people, in a vast majority of them were women who felt that writing was an act of of survival and of protest, of radical self love of, of you know so many different things that it was something they had been thinking about maybe for a long time or they had something in them that they they really have been wanting to write for whatever reason all the reasons that get in the way for everyone felt like it it was there was an urgency there was an absolute urgency to it um actually from that time I have um met several women who I continue to workshop with, um, all of whom 
sort of had this burning desire to write, all of whom might say were natural born writers, talented for whatever reason life had gotten in the way mm -hmm. or other things or responsibilities in, uh, to, to really be in touch with their writer selves. Um, none of them had published anything. When we started together, they have all published. Oh, that's so good. Incredible, incredible, meaningful, deep work. And um, and I think, I think part of the changing world and country we were in helped, helped that happen or facilitated that or brought the urgency to the forefront. The pandemic has been, I don't know, fill in the blank. I still don't know how to how to complete that <laughs> sentence. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm still processing it. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm reserving <laughs> reserving the right to <laughs> keep what I think of it. I think there's been so much turmoil over the past few years, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. politically in your country. I know there's been a lot going on politically in my country everything's on fire at the moment mm -hmm. so it is nice to hear that as, as terrible as that is at least some good can come out of it in these women feeling empowered or or feeling driven to start writing mm -hmm. and actually achieving publication I mean that's amazing it's 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 the best feeling in the world to see it happen and I feel giddy about it you know and it's um when they have pieces come out it is way more exciting to me than any time I get published just because I've seen the mm -hmm. the journey so up close and um yeah it's a it's a really powerful powerful experience and I think I think a lot of art is made in difficult times historically mm -hmm. and and we're living through difficult times be it political or the pandemic disease you know there's a tremendous amount of loss and grief and trauma that people are still processing and um coming to write and bringing it to the page as a as a beautiful and also powerful and meaningful way yeah work through it so um i i suppose with writing i mean you can write for publication, but I would just encourage anyone to who's feeling the heaviness of the last few years to just write for themselves. Like I could not agree more. Yeah, so just get the feelings out. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the stories, I think we realize how um how much is is kept inside of people that and so to put them down on the page they have life beyond our memories it can feel difficult um living through these times because i don't know about you but i'm just tired like all the time, <laughs> all the time. i'd love at least a month where something major doesn't happen mm -hmm. i'd love to have a prime minister for more than a few weeks <laughs> but um uh, yeah, I I think the silver lining is definitely that if there was ever a time to be creative, even if it's just in a really mm -hmm. angry punk sort of way, this is the hour. <laughs> uh, amen, amen. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think getting it down on the page is a great 
great place to start. And then you sort of see what happens. One of the women in this group, she came in the first class and she said, I'm not interested in publishing. I just want to write for my family. And, you know, P.S. I think she's had like 15 pieces published. Oh, wow. uh, Is working on a proposal about a a collection. So, you know, people often ask in class, you know, the best way to get published and, um, you know, first of all, if I had that magic wand, right? <laughs> Standing room only in every class. But, um, you know, I think it's it's to write and to process and to draft. So, Yeah. And I guess to just be authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I feel when a lot of people ask, well, how do you get published? Um, I mean, there isn't a formula. It, no. You've got to just write something that that feels right and honest for yourself, I suppose. I agree. You know, I think you have to be moved to create. Yes. And and the publishing maybe comes later or maybe it doesn't, you know, plenty of things that I love that have never been published and that doesn't change anything about them for me. Yeah. Perhaps publication should be seen as a bonus rather than a goal. I agree. I think when you take take it off the table as your initial goal or as a as a guiding star of whatever you're doing, um, that's when you do your best work. <laughs> Ironically, when you do your best work is probably when you'll get published. So yeah, difficult advice to follow, but very good advice. <laughs> way easier said than done. Way way. <laughs> So um, I think we'll finish off with a reading of Lone Mm -hmm. Bird, which is the story that you have published with us earlier this year. Now, it is very short. It's a flash fiction story. Have you decided you want to just read part of it or the whole thing? Well, if you have the time, I'd love to read the whole thing. I was trying to pick a selection it was a little harder but if you'd like me to just read a piece of it I can do that as well no I was hoping that you would want to read the whole thing (laughs) um so before you do I'll just give a a little intro as to, to explain kind of why I decided to publish this piece um I think it's just interesting to give a bit of context so it's a story about quite an odd moment um that being the the caring for a grandmother's body after she's passed away. Um, and it's set in a funeral parlour, which when you say funeral parlour, it can conjure up images of quite a stark place, mm-hmm. a very heavy atmosphere. So what I really liked about this story is that you contrast that very well with the the gentle way that you tell the story but also the tenderness um that that the main character is showing towards her grandmother and it was it's a very strange ambience but I really enjoyed it um and I I guess what it comes down to is it's a story about saying goodbye really and it's told very succinctly a great use of brevity and it's honestly a really great example of flash fiction because, I mean, you don't have many words to work with and you just tell us what we need to know and the reader can fill in the rest themselves. And I thought it was a really good example of just knowing when to 
when to stop giving information and just let the reader take it from there. So yeah, I really love this story, honestly. <laughs> so nice to hear. And thank you for giving it a good home. No, of course. Um, so for you, what inspired this story? Um, well, interestingly enough, it started out as something much longer. Um, well, maybe that is interesting just to me. But um, so when I, I, a long time ago, when shortly after college and some of these wording, writing workshops that I mentioned, I started um, what eventually became a novel um, with this character. So this is a piece from a novel that I wrote probably 20 plus years ago, had a very, very near mess of and having it published. It's a long, sad oh, wow. story. Um, and put it away for a long time. And I think put fiction away for a long time with it. I think I know, um, which is, you know, part of why coming back to the novel form is, feels very full circle to me and feels mm. feels like a, a bit of a, um, a triumph, I guess, after all this time. Or, oh, it or definitely is. So, um, so I, I, I think it was, you know, maybe as the pandemic was beginning, we were hearing word of it and starting to bubble up. I, um, like everybody else, I was cleaning out a lot of closets and, <laughs> and drawers and, and files and, and found it and started looking at pieces of it again and, and thought maybe I can create something from pieces of it. Um, there's only a really the scene is what remains and, and a little bit of the language. And um, I sort of just kept reshaping it and reworking it. And it became this. That's so interesting. I never would have guessed that this was from something longer. So yeah, I'll um so I'll, I'll let you take it away then. So this is Lone Bird by Beth Cantor. Her feet always showed her age more than the rest of her body. Dried blister atop dried blister, flaking skin, a bone spur adding dimension to her little toe. I cradled her foot in my hands and began to massage it, starting with the toes and working my way down to the heel. Slowly and evenly, I make circular motions with my thumbs, kneading the cold flesh of the woman who raised me. Everyone needs a little pampering. What you don't get in life, you should get in death. Tomorrow I'll bring you some clear polish and a nail file, I said aloud. If she were really here, she'd laugh at how she'd be the only old lady in the next world with a fresh pedicure and ask me to pick up a turkey sandwich for the trip while I was at it. But there is no time left for polish. The memorial candle in the corner throws a slideshow of shadows on the wall. I lock my thumbs together and wiggle my fingers. Look, Graham, a bird. I say, smiling like a three-year-old who successfully campaigned for a better bedtime instead of a 32-year-old woman. I have no one to laugh with me, so I return my focus to her feet. Fishing through my backpack, I search through overdue paperbacks, unopened bank statements, and old receipts. Unable to find my unscented hand lotion in one of the messes of my life, I grab what she left for me instead. Sealed with a strip of masking tape, the manila envelope has my name written in blue marker across the top. 
As I lift it from my bag, the contents slide to one corner, causing the opposite side to flop over and hit the ground. My arms, over-anxious to recover the package, dive toward the funeral parlor's well-swept floor, taking the rest of me down. Sitting below her body, I trace the perimeter of the oversized envelope with a single finger. Okay, I whisper up to her shrouded body. I shake the envelope. The contents make the sound of metal jacks being rattled in a loose fist before spilling out on the floor. My inheritance before me, five New York City subway tokens and a note. For you, Reb, my world, it's time to be part of it. So long for now, Graham. One at a time, I pick up the tokens and drop them into my coat pocket. When reunited, they clink like wind chimes crafted from mismatched sporks spoons and forks. Then I pick myself up. The undertaker who wants to be called funeral home director has already told me it's closing time. So here we are, last call. I kiss Graham on the forehead and wave goodbye. The sound in my pocket follows me home. Along the way, others join in. A missed F train, a work boot on a metal grate, a stick of gum in a partially opened mouth. It's a song of sorts tinny and almost joyful or perhaps it's not a song at all maybe it's a call a bird call one intended for me and other lone birds oh, i love that ending line it's so good <laughs> thank you for reading the whole thing i was really hoping that you would want to <laughs> thank you for the opportunity too i really appreciate it no of course um so to finish off is there anything that you wanted to promote um well, I appreciate you mentioned my books, which um, I'm always happy if somebody wants to pick one up and spend time with it. Um, you can find me on social media at BKK. It's my initials spelled out, B-E-E-K-A-E-K-A-E. -E -E -E. I think that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. No, of course, Twitter is always the best place to find writers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah I think that is us done then um, so thank you for anyone who's been listening for listening to us and um, yeah that's it from both of us then um, thank you no of course thank you for being on <laughs> alright so it's bye from both of us then bye so that is it for season one of the Idol Inc podcast Oh, it's been so much fun. I've loved chatting with all the guests and getting to know them a bit better. Um, I never get to talk to writers like this. It, it's been so much fun. Um, so yeah, thank you to the six guests who came on and were brave enough to talk about their writing journeys and get a bit deep. But also thank you to everyone who's been listening. I mean, I hope people have been listening. I really, really hope people have been listening. Um, but yeah, I'd really like to do a season two. I've got some ideas. I think I'm going to switch things up a bit. It might look a little bit different. But no matter how it turns out, it's going to be fun. Um, so yeah, but for now, I think I'm going to go rest my voice for a really, really long time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.